0: Hi, this is Tim. This is just a heads up that all the advice you're hearing in this podcast is general in nature. If you want something more specific, then feel free to contact us. Drunk accountant, drunk accountant, drunk, drunk, drunk accountant, drunk accountant, drunk accountant, drunk, drunk, drunk accountant, drunk accountant, drunk, drunk, drunk again, drunk drunk accountant. Hello and welcome to the tenth episode of Two Drunk Accountants. That's right number 10. We buggered it up the past two weeks. We said 9 and 10, but uh, this is actually number 10. Uh, So the reason that we buggered that up is because uh, Tim's away. Uh, He went away for a little bit and because we wanted to still deliver this podcast every week, uh, we recorded a bunch of them in advance and on on the night that we recorded episode 9 and 10, uh, we stuffed up. So... Uh, yeah, Tim's away. Uh, I've cut him off from the podcast for this week. Um, he was dead weight. He was holding us back. Everyone knew it. Very common tweets, uh, to us saying, Dan, when will you get rid of Tim? He's been nothing but a nuisance. Um, listen, I agree this week. I've done just that. It's just me. It's just going to be a quick short one. Um, because we, uh, underestimated the amount of episodes we'd need while he was gone. So uh, this is just me this week. I'm just going to answer a couple of listener questions. Uh, we had a few people send in a couple of questions this week. So I thought I'd just give those an answer, make sure I get something out this week. And uh, next week, however, we it's a very special week. We have our first ever guest, uh, Dave Hammett, the financial planner, is going to come on to discuss... Uh, what financial planning really is and, and how it might relate to you and, and whether or not you actually need it and uh, what financial planners do. I think there's a lot of negative press out there at the moment about financial planning, so I think it's just a good time to get um, get a good one in who, who does the right thing by his clients and, and just to see what the difference between he and, and the other ones might be. So, what's the Tim and Dan Lowe this week? Uh, what is the Tim and Dan Lowe? look glug, glug, that's the new theme song. So the Tim and Dan this week. Well, I've been here working hard, uh, working away uh, at uh, actual work, but also striving to get this podcast to everyone this week. It's actually the second time I've recorded this. The first time I recorded it, the the audio it up, and uh, I'm stuck here recording it again, but that's okay. Um, I mean, it's going to be better either way without Tim, uh he's away in the UK as i said i'm here working away does that make me a hero i mean that's not for me to say if it was i'd probably say yes i'm kind of like batman um that would make tim robin i guess he's definitely probably the robin of the podcast and i wouldn't even say he's the good robin he's more like like he's not dick grayson he's, he's not going on to become nightwing he, he's probably like one of the later crappier robins um that no one really cares about so that's tim so whenever you think of tim think crappy Robin um from now on I might even refer to him as that for the next couple of weeks while he's gone good idea so yeah the Tim and Danlow is just yeah new financial year working away a lot of people already getting their work into us which is great um yeah I'm looking forward to uh kick off the new financial year and and uh move on from there so that's my that's my Tim and Danlow uh I guess we should talk about a business update. So the business update for me this week is an article that was sent to me uh, about ASIC. And if you have a small business, if you have a company, um, you'd be used to getting an annual company review sent to you every year. This is essentially a a printout of your company information, including directors, shareholders, your address, um, the name, All that kind of thing, and what you have to do is you look over that, you read it, you make sure it's all correct, Uh, you then sign a solvency declaration to say that you're still solvent and you're happy to keep trading, Uh, and then you have to pay 250 something dollars to ASIC. Now, what this article is claiming is essentially this is a fee for no service. Uh, ASIC are charging large amounts of 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 money, like the 200 and something dollars for an annual review, when it actually takes you know, a a thousandth of that to deliver that service. It's all automated. It's all done um, electronically. No one's actually reviewing this and sending it out to you. Uh, And this is exactly what they've gone after the banks for. Uh, So essentially what their big landmark case against the bank for fee for no service is almost the identical thing that they're doing. And they also charge, you know, 20-something dollars to get a company extract to find out the identities of directors of another company. And fees and like that, that really are um, quite large. And they apparently, they're going up every year, some of them, including the annual review, three times that of the, uh, the annual growth um, that would normally happen. So... Yeah, so that's a, that's amazing. It's, you know, the the fees that they've collected are something like $920 million or or something along those lines, which is just staggering um that they're charging small businesses these for for a, for a service that essentially is is non-existent. So yeah, so that was a really interesting article. Uh I always think that it was just a money grab. I don't think anyone really thought anything different. Um, the, the part that upsets me the most is are the large penalties. So if if you're a month late in making that penalty, you, you get charged automatically $75. Uh, if you're two months late, it jumps up to like $300 or something. And, and suddenly your, your $250 ASIC fee is now $500. Uh, and yeah, that does get a lot of people out. So yeah, it's a, it's a little bit concerning that uh, the body that's there to investigate this kind of thing is doing that um so I guess we'll just watch this space and and see see what comes out of it i I hope there's a reduction in that annual fee. It's not a lot. it is only two hundred and something dollars, but still uh for a small company that uh that that runs on thin margins, you know a little family business then yeah it it definitely would be a saver so watch this space, so as you can tell, I am flying through this podcast and that's because as I mentioned I dropped the dead weight Tim's not here he's always held us back uh we're flying through I'm getting through all this content. it is going to be a shorter episode this week. I do only have a few little questions to go through in our main topic which is just our Q a special uh, but if you do ever have any other questions for us we'd be happy to answer them on the podcast so you know sh- shoot us an email at two podcast at gmail.com. Uh, send us a tweet at 2drunkpodcast, find us on Facebook, 2drunkaccountants, and yeah, we'd love to hear from you and we'd love to uh, to answer any questions that you might have about small business or about anything accounting related that uh, that you might be interested in. So, I guess we'll move straight through to these questions. Here's the first one. The first one was regarding laundry. Now, this is actually a pretty relevant question. Um, I guess I had this one because it is tax time. People are trying to get their individual tax returns um, prepared. As we've mentioned on an earlier podcast, we are a small business podcast, but that does involve getting your individual tax return done, um, which may involve some of these laundry deductions. So I'm happy to explain this. So essentially, you're allowed to deduct expenses related to work-related clothing, uniforms, when they fall under the following categories: occupational specific. Uh, that's say, if you're a chef and you have chef pants, uh, compulsory work uniforms. So they're a uniform that clearly identifies you as a uh, member of that organization or an employee of that organization. So if you go to the movies and you see them in their, uh, you know, candy bar outfits, well, that's clearly a compulsory work uniform. Or non-specific. Uh, or non-compulsory work uniforms. These can only be deducted if the organization you work for has registered them um, with the relevant body, which does happen, but rarely. Uh, And the last one is protective clothing. So, uh, you know, your steel cap boots, your um, reflective vests. Unfortunately, things like jeans or trousers or drill pants even, these aren't included because they don't... um, they're not strictly protective, uh, even though they might form that function, um, they're not strictly protective in nature. So yeah, you, you can't deduct for those. But the, the cost of all those, yep, you can definitely claim. But onto the specific question around laundry, so you can claim for the washing or caring of these uniforms under any of those categories. So the ATO this year have announced that this is an area that they're going to be reviewing. Uh, the reason is, historically, you're allowed to claim up to $150 without written substantiation. Now, that doesn't mean you can just claim $150 and it'll all be fine. Uh, you still need to be able to show or, or demonstrate that you, know, you, you did have to wash these clothing and you did incur these costs. And what the ATO have actually provided is a rate per wash which sounds ridiculous, but it's a good way to estimate what your expense for this might have been. So what they've said is that if you're washing an item with other things, so if if you're chucking your, you know, high-vis vest in with your normal washing, uh, then you can claim 50 cents per wash for those items. If you're washing these items by themselves, uh, you can claim $1. So per wash. And that that includes the wash, the drying, the ironing. It includes all of that. So as an example, let's say you go to work five days a week. You only have one work shirt. So you wash it three times a week and you wash it by itself. You don't wash it with other things. So you could claim $1 per wash, three washes a week. So that's $3 a week. And say you work for 48 weeks in the year. Well you can claim $144 for laundry expenses. Now that's the same from same calculation for any of this. If you're washing it with other things, it would be 50 cents per wash. So really you would halve that. You'd be sitting at $72. Um Yeah, so it's 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 pretty easy to estimate, you know, as long as you can demonstrate that you have put some thought into it and then these are likely then that's, that's completely fine to use that method. Uh, if they do target you, it's probably just because you've chucked in $150, exactly $150, which would, uh, which would mean you, you haven't used the relevant calculations that they've provided. Uh, so yeah, so that's how you calculate uh, the laundry expenses in your individual tax return. And that answers that question. So moving on to our next question, uh, this one was actually I've had a few people ask me this recently, uh, and I, I'm in no way giving any financial advice here. I, I'm not telling you to invest in this. I'm not telling you it's a good idea for you. I'm more gonna be discussing uh, the tax consequences of it and and what it actually means. Um, but what I'm talking about is a friendly society bond. Uh, you know, I, I I've heard financial planners give this advice. I've heard people come to me and say that I think they might have heard it from maybe the Barefoot Investor or or somebody like that. Um, but essentially, what it is is it's kind of like a an, an insurance policy, or, or, almost. You know, your uh, and so, sometimes you can get these things that do come with life insurance. Um, but essentially, it's a bond that you make an initial investment in, say, ten thousand um, dollars. You've put in this bond, and and these bonds typically last for ten years. So, what happens is you invest that ten thousand dollars uh in this bond. the fund that you've given the money to then goes invests that money themselves. any earnings that they earn from that they pay tax on, so they pay tax at thirty percent or whatever the corporate tax rate is. you know eventually this might be twenty five percent um twenty seven and a half percent who knows where that's going to end up but Let's say for, for ease sake, they pay 30% tax. So every year, that $10,000 accrues earnings, you know, interest, dividends, whatever they're investing in. So if if they're bringing back $2,000 in revenue from that $10,000 per year, so it pays 30% tax on that, which would be $600. Uh, so your balance in that first year would be $10,000 plus the $2,000 earnings less the $600 tax. So you'd be sitting there at uh, $11,400. The next year, it does the same thing. It earns income and then pays tax. And each year, it accrues. Now, if you take any of this out before the eighth year, uh, all that extra earnings that the initial investment has made become taxable to you less the tax already paid by that fund, which is like any other investment. If you get a dividend, um, they send you through a franking credit, which is the tax that they've paid, and then you just pay whatever your marginal rate is less that 30%. So if your marginal rate's 32.5%, then you just pay 2.5% in tax. Uh, so that's what would happen if you take any of that income out before the eighth year. Now, if you take it out in the ninth year, what happens is only two-thirds of that income becomes accessible. So if there was, you know, uh, let's say $5,000 worth of income um, that it earned, well only $3,333 would be accessible to you less that 30% rate rather than the full $5,000 which it would have been in the eighth year. uh, In the ninth, it's only two-thirds. Now in the 10th year, it becomes one third. I don't know if you can hear this plover that's squawking just outside this window, but there's nothing I can do about that. It's annoying me as well. But what am I going to do? It's annoying. So the tenth after, so in the tenth year, it's only one third rather than two thirds. But after ten years, all of that in- extra income that that investments earn, you don't have to pay any extra tax on. It becomes tax free. Now that's where the advantage happens, so the company or the fund has already paid thirty percent tax on all these earnings, so this only works out beneficial for you if your income is above any mar- like any threshold where the tax is greater than the corporate tax rate so you know if you're earning thirty seven thousand dollars and your tax rate's thirty two and a half percent well then you're getting an advantage of two and a half percent on these earnings uh if your income's you know much further up and you're paying. 37, 39, whatever these tax rates end up being, uh, then you're gaining more advantage again. You're saving 7% on those investments. Uh, Because all the income that you can take out becomes tax free, less the 30% tax rate. So, what happens, what else happens, sorry, is that you can add every year 125% of the contribution you made the year before, and it counts towards the first year's investment. So what that means is that if you make 10 grand in the first year, uh, so if you invest 10 grand in the first year, in the second year, you can invest $12,500, which is a lot, Um, you know, I wouldn't expect that to probably be the case, but you can definitely do that in the next year, and it doesn't count as a new bond, it counts towards the first year, and that means you can take it out after nine years with all of its earnings. Now, you can keep doing that year on year all the way up until the 10th year, uh, You know, as long as it's not more than 125% of the contribution the year before, which means if you put in five grand in the second year, then you can only put in 125% of $5,000 in the second year. Uh, if you go a year without putting an investment in, the next year starts an entirely new bond which means you have to wait a whole another 10 years. So the advantage is is that you can keep adding to this investment um, year on year. And at the end of the initial 10-year period, you can take it all out plus its earnings tax-free because 30% tax has already been paid on all those earnings. So yeah, it definitely does. It is a good little tax saver. Um, It's probably better off for someone in a higher tax rate than a lower tax rate because you know, if you're only paying 19% tax, then you would have been better off um, just having those investments in your own name because um, you would have paid less tax. So that's how a friendly society bond works, essentially. Uh, and it's a, yeah, a good question. Um, if anyone has any more questions on that, feel free to, uh, to give me a call. So another question that I've received this week uh, had a little bit of a political edge to it. Uh, So we're not a political podcast, but I'll I'll try and answer my my question the best I can. Um, Essentially, they they were asking how tax havens work, uh, how overseas investments work, and how charities work in terms of tax loopholes. So... That's a big question, so I'm just going to give you a brief overview of each one. So, a tax haven can work in a couple of ways. Um, the first way is if you're an individual and you're trying to hide assets that you own, um, then then essentially you set up a shell company in one of these areas, a tax haven that have very little or no tax, say the Cayman Islands. And you set up a business, a company registered in that region. Uh, More often than not, you uh, pay a little bit extra to get someone's dummy name put on your notices, uh, sorry, as a director of your company. So you have no real attachment and you move all your assets to that company. And what happens is, as far as anyone can tell, there's a different director. You're not, you know, your name's not associated as running that, that entity. Um, but it's sitting there holding all of your investments. No one knows they exist, uh, apart from you and the people that set it up. And you know, any income that those investments earn from that point on, there's no tax in that region. You're not paying tax on them either. Um, so essentially, that they're a way for people to hide income um, and pay no tax. That that sorry to hide assets and to pay no tax on any income that those assets earn in that region. Um, the other side of that is when a corporation sets up an entity in one of these areas. Say, you know, Apple was, a, I think, a big example of that. They had a, an office, uh, their head office was in Ireland or, or something like that, where it had a much lower tax rate. And what happens is they move all of their uh, profits from their different regions, shift them through, you know, a complex series of structures. uh to an entity that ends up with all the profit in an area that pays very little tax. So the way that might work is they have an entity set up in Australia. It sells all the Apple goods, um, but it also has an equivalent amount of cost from the head office in the US. So really the Australian entity makes no profit, sends all the profits through you know, licensing fees and things to the US. Uh, the US does the same thing to the entity in Ireland and then suddenly, you know, the US and the Australian entities, uh, you know, wholly own subsidiaries that make no profit, and the head entity is sitting in Ireland and it makes uh, all the profit and pays very little tax. So that's, you know, and it's a lot more complicated than that. Um, that's just a very simplistic idea of, of how it works, but essentially, you know, normally you pay tax in the region that you earn income, and then there's tax treaties between each region. Um, Say, you know, the US and Australia have a tax treaty, and, you know, if if you pay tax on income in the US, um, but ultimately you're an Australian resident, well, then you include that income as income in your Australian tax return, but it comes with any tax that you've paid in the US. However, if you're claiming, you know, you've made no profit in the Australian entity, well, then you're not going to pay any tax on that income. You're still going to pay GST. You're still going to pay payroll tax and other state taxes, um, but you're not paying income tax because apparently you made no profit. All those profits are sitting in Ireland, and you know you're paying much less tax. Uh, so that's kind of how it works for a corporate entity like a business. Um, and there's been, a, you know, there's a lot of. Controversy about that at the moment, and there's all that, especially with the individuals as well. And you know, the Panama Papers a few years ago was a big deal. Um, you know, finding out a lot of a lot of Australian businesses have entities registered overseas where they're shifting assets or shifting profits and hiding things and dodging tax. Um, essentially, you're either moving all of your profits to a region with no tax, or you're hiding the fact that you've got assets and not paying tax on the earnings that they have. Um, in those regions and yeah a lot of countries are now trying to close these loopholes um it is difficult with all these tax treaties and it is difficult to um find out how it works you know at at the moment uh, owning an entity in another area and and shifting those profits isn't illegal um what it is it's you know (laughs) yeah it's, it's not illegal until you do something illegal like tax evasion so if you're clearly setting this thing up to avoid tax, then that becomes illegal and you can get in trouble for that. If you're moving your assets overseas just because you want to and you're not dodging tax, you're just hiding it, that's not illegal. Um, yeah, so it is a tricky area. I don't have the solution. Um, but yeah, so the, the question really asks, um, asks, asks that they read an article about uh, Malcolm Turnbull. Uh, and what, they, what the article apparently alleged was that he had um, all of his in, um, assets and things or his income uh, hidden in offshore accounts, dodging tax. Now, I tried to look this up just to get an idea of what it was talking about. The only thing that I could find was that he'd said that all of his investments are in overseas uh, interest to avoid conflicts and in interest. Now, what I think that actually means, it's a little bit different. It's not a tax haven it just means that he's invested in overseas companies like apple for instance um or managed funds that are based in the US and and the reason that is a good thing is because you know he's out there spruking uh, corporate tax cuts and if he had big investments in large companies in australia well that could be a conflict of interest so what he does is uh have a lot of investments overseas in uh, a lot of overseas investments and funds um which then earn income, but the difference is that income does come back to Australia and he would pay tax on any earnings from that income. So he still does pay tax even though they're invested overseas. The income does come back. That was my phone. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, so he does still earn, earn, um, earn income from those things and he would still pay tax. I doubt he's got any um, things hidden in overseas... Um. You know tax havens the same way as that I've described earlier. Um, so the other part of this question was uh, the second part was that money, sorry that his income was transferred um, was donated to a charity that he owns and whether or not that's a tax loophole. Uh, I, I would say no I, I anyone can set up a charity um, it needs to follow some pretty strict rules. Um, it needs to be audited every year by a qualified auditor. Uh, you know, a, a member of a professional practice like CPA or, or CA, uh, and it needs to adhere to some pretty strict, um, some pretty strict compliance issues that have been set out by you know the the ACNC, which is the Australian Charities Commission. Uh, there's Fair Work get involved. Uh, there's a bunch of bunch of bodies that monitor this. Um, essentially, they need to be for the benefit of society or, you know, some section of society, uh, if it's a deductible gift recipient, you know, if he's donating the equivalence of his wage there, it would mean that, you know, he'd have income of 550000 and he'd donate 550000 which means his income would be zero. Uh, he's not getting any benefit from that income, so I don't think that that would, uh, I don't think that would be any tax evasion on his behalf because he's not actually receiving that income he's doing it out of a you know a goodwill gesture to say i'm i'm not in this for the money i'm in this for the benefit of the country uh i have looked it up that his his foundation does do a lot of charitable work with hospitals uh it does um it does, you know, have scholarships at universities and, and, and things like that. So, you know, it, it might not even be a deductible gift recipient. He, he, he might just be simply donating an equivalent amount to his foundation, but he's still paying tax on that income that he's earning as prime minister. Um, I'm, I'm not sure how it works, but yeah, you, you definitely can set up a charity. It's not a tax evasion. Um, you, you're not getting any benefit. You know, if you pay yourself a wage from the charity, you still pay tax if money comes to you in any way, you know, you still pay tax. Um, but if that money is going straight to the foundation and then from the foundation to a charity or to a, um, you know, to a scholarship or something, then yeah, he's getting no benefit from that income and, you know, he's not paying tax on that. Um, or as I said, he could be and still donating it. So, uh, that's not a tax donation. They're fairly heavily, heavily, um, regulated the charity. So, I uh it's not really a loophole um you know you, you, anyone could set up a charity and, and put their money to it um it's not going to be good for them they're not saving you know they're saving tax but they're foregoing their entire income so uh yeah uh, i think i think that's a that's a separate that's a separate thing and uh still very interesting one day we might even do an enti- an entire uh Entire podcast dedicated to how to set up a charity and, and what's involved because I know a lot of people do want to help the community and they, they do want to do it, especially if they're making some, some good profits. So they might want to, uh, to give back to the community. And uh, we, we have a few clients that have set up charities, and uh, there are different regulations involved if they're a smaller charity versus a larger charity. And yeah, it's, it's a, it is a very interesting topic, but I, I wouldn't say it's a tax dodge in, in, any, in any way. Um, yeah so that, that about answers that question. The next question I have uh, <laughs> this one comes from demo he and this is a friend of the podcast Demo, you might remember him from the week uh, he broke his finger uh, he said, When will accountants become extinct? so thanks for that question demo uh we appreciate your your feedback as Tim mentioned, your accounting fees this year have gone up um just you uh but in it Although it's a silly question, uh it does kind of have an interesting answer if you think about it seriously. Uh so an accountant as Damo might know it, someone that's preparing his individual tax return, um you know, someone that simply got a, a payment summary and a couple of deductions. Um this is this uh, you know, the accountant as you might know it in that instance may very well disappear one day. You know, we, we did a podcast the other week about um, whether or not you should use an accountant, and at the moment definitely is a good idea to see an accountant you know we can come up with lots more um you know we can make sure you're following the rules you might get more deductions than you realize you were entitled to um we keep all your records we gave a whole lot of reasons uh so for all those reasons, it's still a good idea for demo to use an accountant, but you know you know I can see one day that. The ATO just issuing assessments. You, you might not need to see an accountant for that simple return, and for that purpose, um, in demo's eyes, accountants might become extinct. But accountants play a much larger role in society. We're not the people who sit there lodging individual tax returns. We're involved in management accounting, you know, cost accounting. Uh, making sure big entities comply with complex tax system that we've got. You know, as, as long as the tax system is as complicated as it is in Australia, then you're going to still have accountants. Um, making financial decisions, these all involve accountants. Budgeting, all the rest. Uh, yeah, we're, we're involved in strategic management. We're involved in lots of things, demos So the accountant as you know it might not exist for you one day, but accountants as a whole, we will never die. Uh... So I did have one more question, and this is another silly one. Uh, not so silly, really. This is from Chris, uh, and he's asked, uh, what is with the Bombers' um, recruiting strategy, um, and why do they suck? So it's a good question, Damon. We all know Tim is a lifelong Bombers fan, and I just know I, I think their strategy is just not to win another grand final since the one they won in 2001 or whenever it was. Um, it's an interesting it's an interesting strategy, and it's it'll be um it'll be something to watch and see if it pans out for them at the moment it hasn't uh but yeah i guess I guess they just don't want to win as much as the other teams um chris but yeah thanks thanks for the thanks for the question it was good to uh good to address the elephant in the room so that brings me to the end of my questions for this week uh as i said, just a quick one, just going through a few topics uh that we do get some common questions on and a few that were sent to me during the week. Uh Tim won't be here for the next couple of weeks. Uh, as I said we're going to have a guest next week. Uh so look forward to that and look forward to Tim not being here again. I imagine the feedback for this week's podcast will be you know excluding your phone calling, excluding the uh plovers yelling at us in the background you know this was probably the best podcast we've had um you know just removing tim automatically made it 100 to um 200% better and yeah i don't want to badmouth tim you know he's a friend of mine no one wants to badmouth him but yeah he's a wet blanket he just brings us down and uh it's just good it's good to be free good to be free of that so i guess i will move on to my other thing this week uh, so I read this week the book um, Peter Garrett's autobiography, and uh, it was pretty good. It was really interesting. I, I've listened to the Julia Gillard's biography before, um, where she talks about you know the whole uh, debacle that they went through um, between 2010 and 2013, uh, and it was just interesting to hear the same story uh, from a different perspective and, and get, uh, get his ideas on, on the whole thing. Uh, but what was more interesting was probably the first, you know, section of his career, the Midnight Oils time, his activism time and, and everything that went on there. And it was, yeah, it was fascinating to hear, hear his story on, on how it all went down. And uh, yeah, I, I thought it was a good read. So if you're interested in a, in the Midnight Oils or a bit of politics, then yeah, I I'd, I'd definitely suggest giving it a read. It's a great book. Uh, so br- that about brings us to the end of the podcast. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, it's been a pleasure and I will calculator. you later.